Welcome to the podcast is dedicated to making you a faster cyclist. The Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. This is where you get answers to your coaching questions. And I'm Coach Jonathan Lee. And here with me is Coach Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. And our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. And we're going to answer more of your questions. You can submit them to us at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad on social platforms, and we'll check them out there. So let's get straight into it today with Nathan's question. Great name. It's, yeah, it's probably a, a, it's a fair question. <laughs> I didn't realize this until I started looking back through after this. He says, every podcast you guys get a question from Jens. Is he real? Is this the same Jens, or is it Jens Vogt? So, or Vogt. I think Vogt. Is Voigt? Say, yeah. Vogt. I always say Vogt. Uh, yeah, it's Jens Vogt. Next yeah. question. Uh, he has a lot of questions. He <laughs> we basically coach Jens through every important race he's ever done. So it's, <laughs> it's him. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Any type of breakaway where he won, he had to coach Chad in his ear. So but in reality, it's not. And I looked back through, and it's actually um, one Jens has had his question answered twice in the past, like, 10 podcasts. But uh, they're all from different people. So believe it or not, there are more than a few people that listen to this. In fact, there are quite a few. So... Um, my mom, your dad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> my yeah. sister. Yeah. And the employees that we forced to listen to it. Yeah. Right? <laughs> All right. So Rick, uh, let's get into his question. He says, hey, Trainer Road, love the podcast. Enjoyed listening to you guys so much that I bought a power-based trainer just so I could start using Trainer Road. I live in Wisconsin where there are few road races and mostly flat crits with an occasional punchy climb. At five foot nine inches, 135 pounds, I sprint well for my weight but have difficulty winning field sprints. My favorite way to race is either trying to go solo or forcing a breakaway. That's how I like to race too. That's mm. my, that's usually my tactic. Me too. Safer. Yeah. And, and you say you're five foot nine and one thirty-five. I'm five foot 11 and one forty-five. So we're not that far off there in, in terms of, of body composition and everything else. So his question, he says, should I pick a training plan that accommodates the demands of my racing style, a more sustained effort, or stick with the Criterium specialty plan. You guys are the best. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Rick. This, before you get into it, Chad, this is a good question because he's asking, should I train the way that I think I'm going to win the race mm -hmm. or how I should train every, you know, just for the type of racing I'm doing? Yeah, it's a good question on a lot of levels, Rick. And one of them, <clears throat> or in particular, I actually wanted to create two Criterium plans. So when I put this one together, I wanted to have one that was more of a sit and sprint sort of approach. And I wanted to have one that was more for this, more for the, the more opportunistic racer who's, you know, fitter, a little, little bolder and will take these chances and, you know, put himself out there or herself out there and, and, and risk, you know, come what may and try again and again if necessary, but it's a different style of racing and there are absolutely different demands. Um, so I kind of landed on something that's more sit and sprint style where you just kind of hang in there and, uh, give it everything you got more toward the end of it. But that's not to say that the the existing criterion plan couldn't be used for this. Um, this actually, you're kind of getting into the realm of the rolling road race training plan. So if you take a look at some of those workouts, you could basically follow your criterion plan and then maybe pick the Saturday workout, which has efforts more in line with that, or just go through it and say, I know my race is going to be like this and try to simulate those demands. You know what you have to do and practicing them is beneficial on a lot of levels. So if you kind of sift through the um, alternate plans and, and one of them is that rolling road race plan, find something that suits the way you plan to ride. And one that springs to mind is junction. It's got a bunch of race winner sort of uh, maneuvers where you actually do that initial hard surge and then you hang in there really close to threshold and you do it again and again until it sticks. And then it even completes with or uh, finishes off with some efforts that 
or right around threshold and kind of, kind of um, mimicking the demands of a, of a breakaway. Um, so feel free to mix it up a bit, follow, you know, maintain the structure, but, you know, find workouts that suit what you think you're going to need. If you, especially if you know your race course and how you plan to race it. Another interesting thing at five, nine, you can get pretty, um, pretty arrow and pretty like tucked down there, especially if you're going to be in a breakaway. This is, so I'm on the opposite side of that being six foot six. If I'm in a breakaway and I'm in a guy who's five, nine, when he takes a pull, I'm like, you're not in front of me. Like you're not guarding wind. And then other people always talk about when they're behind me, that's like being behind um, the semi. Yeah, exactly. And it's awesome. They barely go at all. Mm-hmm. And that would be, uh, I mean, in general too, do you guys specifically line up behind people in breakaways that are taller or Chad, you're pretty tall, but mm-hmm. John, do you guys like look for the biggest guy yep. and try uh, to get behind their wheel? Yeah. So the first priority would, if I'm, if I'm in a breakaway and I'm, I'm with a group of guys that are all different body makeups, everything else like that. First priority is to stick to the guy that I think is going to make the mover be the instigator and to, to stay close on him. But if I feel like there isn't a standout or there's multiple, I'm definitely going to lean towards riding with a bigger guy. And the way that I'll do that is I'll either take a pull out and I'll, sorry, this is a little gross, but I'll blow a snot rocket or something else and I'll skip a guy mm. if I need to. The or, phantom snot rocket. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> or I'll just take a longer drink or for some reason I'll just drop out for a bit and come back in um, and I'll just shift myself so that I can land behind a guy like Chad, like yourself, somebody bigger. It makes a huge difference. It does. It can just be hard to find that wheel, though. Everybody recognizes the same benefits of riding behind the big yep. guy. So getting the big guy's wheel, or better yet, a string of big guy's wheels, is is desirable by everybody. So you're going to have to fight for it, or like Jonathan is suggesting, strategize such that you can be the guy who, who slots right. in behind these bigger guys. And interestingly enough, like here locally, we have like at local races, Dave Christensen, our filmmaker, hmm. he's the guy that you always have to watch when, if you're in a breakaway. Um, because yeah. he's going to make a surge and he's going to make a move in every single one. Um, and here's the downside of Dave is he's a smaller guy. Yep. So you slot in behind him and you get, and he's I can like tell five, you, nine, right? I rode with Dave for four and a half hours yesterday. He did the majority of the pulling. And when he pulled, I, I almost felt like it was pointless and I should just ride alongside him. The yeah. benefit of a, of a rider who's substantially smaller than you is, uh, is minor by comparison to, to having a big guy in front of you. Exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of that balance. You have to see, is this the type of rider that sure I'll, I'll be able to rest. And maybe if you're cooked and you do have the opportunity to quickly slot in behind that guy and it comes at the sacrifice of following the guy that might make the move. If mm-hmm. you cook, that might be worth it. It's just something you have to weigh. You know? So let, let's say it's me and this guy who's five, nine. So I'm six, six. If we haven't mentioned it before, um, (laughs) but so different strategies. So for me, if I'm in a breakaway and we're pretty far away, right? I think that I should attack this guy earlier, especially if it's flat, because I'm going to have more, probably if we're in the same race category, more raw Watts, because we're not going to go uphill, right? Mm -hmm. If it's something flat Mm -hmm. and I should try to hit him early on that, where he should probably try to wear me down a little bit before he attacks, Mm -hmm. because I'm going to be sitting in the wind just naturally because he's, um, so much shorter than I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Solid tactic. Yeah. yeah. And this, this just furthers the point that if you know what sort of strategy you're likely to land in or what sort of strategy you're going to pursue training for those very specific demands, especially as you get close to the more important races is super critical. Yeah. So in your case, Rick, when you're saying that you're going to be training for those solo efforts, I just wanted to echo what Chad said to wrap this one up, but, uh, those race winner efforts that he spoke about, uh, you can find them. They essentially start out really high, way above threshold. Then you don't drop down to where you can be comfortable, but you drop down to threshold somewhere around there and you have to maintain it. 
that type of stuff is perfect for your style of racing, going solo at the end or forcing a breakaway like that. And if you train for that, there's the good news is it's not like you're training for, you know, an Ironman bike leg in this, in the sense that you've got a really polarized approaches Mm. there. In this case, your crit racing is going to benefit from it pretty substantially. Um, so I, and I, this kind of goes into the big question of, do you train your strengths or do you train your weaknesses almost, you know, Mm -hmm. it kind of, it, it has a similar thread to that. And really, I guess the best answer is train for how you're going to race on that race day. Right. Yeah. Basically. I mean, you, you address weaknesses when it's not pivotal and and then you really play on your strengths when it is. So your training kind of reflects that. If your weakness is holding you back, right. Yeah. You yep. can't make it to where you're going to be in a breakaway because of your weaknesses. Yeah. Then yep. it absolutely has to be addressed because that's limiting performance. That's, that's, that's a weakness times two. Sort so of thing. one workout, Chad, broken finger, mm-hmm. Jim or broken finger. Yeah. So broken finger is what's that first work? It's really uh Kern 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 with, with like some... race winners at the end. Yeah. It's, uh-huh. I just did it. It's, it's brutal. brutal. I did it on Saturday, but it's, it's really cool. Actually, I'm going to do it again. Um, I barely got through it. You do, it's like VO two max. A little bit over FTP, a little bit under FTP, VO2 max, a little bit of FTP. That's a 15-minute interval. You do three of those, and then you have four race winner type intervals at the end. Mm-hmm. And you get a ton of TSS and a ton of calories in 90 minutes. Yeah. And a lot of the off and on, the, the billet-style workouts, too, that will be having you recovering well, recovering uh, close to FTP in those sets, those will, those will serve you, too. Yeah, those are basically lactate tolerance. And anytime you hear lactate tolerance, it's just a euphemism for pain tolerance because the two are basically the same thing in this situation. Right. Chad, I can't hold it back anymore. Do you notice that Jonathan's very tired? <laughs> Jonathan's a little less sharp than yeah. usual. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he just I, really has been not doing very well on this podcast. And I want to <laughs> let everyone know why. <laughs> yeah. I, I, we had a, my wife had a baby. His name's Simon, tiny little guy. So we're pretty, we're actually completely overjoyed to have him. Also completely sleep deprived, but that's okay. So and it's only just beginning. Yeah, only just yeah. beginning. Talk to it, me in three months and see how see pretty. if the shine's still here. Yet he's here on the podcast. We we tried to tell him to Skype in, but he's like, nah, it'd be better here. Yeah, yeah. Try to tell better. him to take the day off, but that's yeah, yeah, I know. Other people like we'll see you in six weeks and we just go. But luckily for all you guys, you don't have me or Chad just doing the <laughs> hosting it. It would not be good. Um the other thing on Jonathan's Instagram, someone was like Oh, if you get slow and fat, don't worry. You can like hang out with Nate and <laughs> slow and fat. It might piss my wife off so much because she sees me like losing all this weight. And yeah. I did my last DEXA. I, yeah. I guess we should, we'll wait till you guys do it too. Yeah. Yeah. I got mine tomorrow. Okay. Yeah, I got to get, I'll get mine scheduled for end of week. But I lost eight pounds of fat. So I'm getting, I'm at 184, 185 for six foot six. So I'm a skinny guy. But on the podcast, it sounds like I'm a chubby guy. Yeah. <laughs> Not. Yeah. Um, in fact, so. Winston uh, Wolfow, whatever your name, or if that's your name there, Winston, it was a funny comment for sure, but not true. <laughs> Nate isn't pack fodder. He isn't well, just a guy that's No, I mean, good. I'm not really that good, right? So, those so of you, I've taken time off many times to build train road or have kids like yeah, yeah. Jonathan just did. Uh, but now I'm back with the vengeance, and Chad just told me too that I will never beat him. But I think you did that part as motivation. Threw the gauntlet down. Yeah. yeah. Every every time I've seen Nate um, or I've raced crits and and actually I've never raced with Nate, but every time I've seen Nate race a crit, he's always taking flyers or taking preem laps or doing anything else. He's not. No, see, away. see, I can poke so. fun at Nate because I know he's a strong guy and I know he's capable. <clears throat> but until he shows me, I, I can't give him credit for, for <laughs> postulating and the theorizing. Flat crits, I'm good at. I've I've won many. Chad flat is too. Crits. Chad's quite good at those too. 
Yeah, but if yeah. it's not a flat crit, I'm no good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so one r- quick thing on that. Um, because of your advice for those people that have written in, so thank you for that, and then also for Nate's advice and everything else, um, I've got a pretty interesting, I think, an interesting approach to handle my training over the next bit. Oh, yeah. So, let's, okay. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Here's a question from Nate. <laughs> let's say I just had a baby. How do I manage having a baby? <laughs> Here, let's yeah. hear Jonathan's plan, and then we'll hear reality like three months from now. Yeah, exactly. It's not gonna, I mean, yeah. it's not going to match up. Everything's going to change. Yeah, exactly. What are you so, going to do for training? So the plan is, um, so first thing in the morning, I'm going to wake up, and I'm just going to do uh, somewhere. At 3 a.m.? Uh, well, is that your yeah. 3 a.m. wake up, your 5 a.m. wake up? The dads on this are laughing. Yeah, so, they know what I'm exactly. Yeah, so and, moms. He, and he eats about once every, I don't know, he wakes up once every two hours if he is sleeping, but he's usually awake more than that, right? So um, this is going to be a 6 a.m. ride. So 6 a.m., because I'm usually up from like 4 through that. So at 6 a.m., I'm going to do an hour on the trainer because that's his, he sleeps really well at that time. Um, but I'm going to be doing rollers at that point. It's not going to be a structured work, or it will be structured, but not like crazy intensity or anything yeah, else so like that. Yeah, so why rollers? So, and the reason for that is, so I guess I should preface this with saying I plan on doing three, two to three workouts a day. Um, and the thing is, You're only crazy. one of those is going to be really intense, right? So one of those is going to be really intense mountain bike specific stuff from the mountain bike plan or from a build plan. But then the other two are going to be pretty easy. So Dan's or one of the easier workouts like that. I'm going to do that facet in the morning and ride the rollers on the workouts where I don't have that specificity and intensity. So in the morning, I'm going to do that just to build some bike skill to, because it does help massively with that. Um, and also I have a muscular imbalance that has caused a really long, um, knee injury. And if I can ride on the rollers and everything else like that, that's going to push me to use the stabilizer muscles. You got to be more smooth too. Exactly. Yeah. So be more stable. So probably quieter too. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I'm going to be riding that. Child. And, and I'm planning on working out really close to him just to get him used to noise. So mm-hmm. we'll see. Yeah. The whining actually so. helps if it's, if it's, Rhythmic. it's the loud things that do Consistent, it, but yeah. it's like a sound machine, you know, constant. Constant's but if I like good. put my keys on a table. Yeah. Like that will wake them up. But if it's just something going, you know, yeah. like a fan or something, it's fine. So ideally around 6 a.m. I'll do my facet workout. It's just going to be about an hour. Um, in some cases, it might go longer. But once again, 6 a.m. is ideal, but you never plan a time with a baby. We'll see how that goes. Then at lunchtime, I'm going to do my more structured workout. And that's going to be something from the build plan. Going into, forgive me, going into the cross-country plan. And then in the evening, if I can, I'm going to get in one more session on the rollers. Um, you sound crazy because so. this, <laughs> this is but more stress is, than you're doing now, and you're going to get mm-hmm. way less sleep. I mean, you don't have work for six weeks. Here's the but, thing, though. Here's the thing about it. So, Well, besides podcast. When I'm adding up the time that I'm sleeping, it's about the same. It's just broken up into small chunks, yeah, that, that makes which it sucks. Worse. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time. That definitely makes it worse. So I looked at my training time, though, and I was spending, I was riding at lunch an hour, and then a lot of the time in the evening, I would ride two hours after that, and I would do a ride in Gleaner or something else like that. So I'm breaking up my riding into smaller chunks as well. Um, and once again, one's intense. The other two are not intense at all. They're mm-hmm. all going to be 50% of threshold right around there. That's actually a good segue into the next question. Yes, yeah. let's do it. So let's get into Zimmerman's question. He says, I hear you speak of TSS filler workouts. um, And that was mentioned on the last podcast. He says, uh, he says, I guess these are there to satisfy uh, an outstanding TSS balance of the day, but how hard should we be riding during these rides? Are these actual junk miles? And he says junk miles in quotes there. 
and what impact uh, will it have on our recovery or our workout next day? Um, lots of good questions, Zimmerman. Um, there's a distinct difference between TSS filler and junk miles. Um, TSS fillers, what we'll get to in just a second, junk mileage is typically, or typically that gray area that we've talked about where the stress is a little too hard to recover and not hard enough to actually affect I- improvement. So <clears throat> it's that, that gray zone, not to be confused with tempo work, but that, that point where people ride, where they're not really deriving any benefit from it. TSS fillers, on the other hand, are more about um, increasing your stress load to a point where you get some sort of positive adaptation. And yeah, we are are big on doing that with intervals and shorter, more structured, more intense workouts. But the fact is the body can only accommodate so many of those in a week. So you get to a point where the only way you can increase your stress, if, if that's necessary, is to do it with lighter, lower intensity rides. And those don't have to necessarily be longer rides, though they can be. Um, we... Uh, often or I, when I design the training plans, just kind of plunk them into days where I know people don't necessarily want to be or need to be off the bike. They can handle a little bit of stress, but it has to be at the lower end of things. That does elevate their weekly TSS to a point where each week is a little more stressful than the week prior, but not necessarily more stressful in terms of more intervals and stuff that it takes uh, a little more resources, physical resources to rebound from. It also helps, um, you know, keep your calories uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like I, I use the heck out of these things for exactly that. Just a little extra calorie burning each day. And if, as you know, if I'm not compensating by eating extra food, weight comes off and it comes off yeah. at a, at a pretty recognizable rate. So they're super good for weight loss. Um, fat loss. Um, on my Tuesday, Thursday workouts, the hard interval ones, I'm just any build right now. Those will be about 80 to 90 TSS. Mm-hmm. And then the filler, which I usually use petite, which is a 60 minute of like zone two stuff. That is 40 TSS, so mm-hmm. half as hard as a interval workout. But a lot of times, unless I'm feeling really like depressed, like um, physically depressed, not mentally, um, it will be, I'll feel better the next day mm-hmm. after doing that. Yeah. yeah. Plus I, I burn like 700 calories. Yeah, yeah that's which is can, nice too. You can couple that really well, really easily with fasted training. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Getting well. up in the morning and then have that TSS filler in the morning if your schedule allows it. Also, you can look at these TSS filler rides, Chad. Um, if, for example, if in the evening you need to ride or if you, you just you commute somewhere, and once mm-hmm. again, commuting is always dangerous, especially if you have Strava on because yeah. you'll be tempted to take KOMs. <laughs> Let you meant by or, cars. <laughs> or if you're going over a road, and certainly, yeah, the danger of being on, on the road with cars, but um, or if you're going over a, a hilly road, commuting can be tricky. But if you've got a pan-flat commute that's very easy and you have zero, you know, you're not riding with any type of rush or anything else, you can add TSS that way. Just keep it easy. Or um, even if you're just geared for it. I mean, if you mm-hmm. if you have proper gearing, climbs aren't necessarily True. the worst thing as long as you can really dial it down, keep it spinny, not not, not uh, heavily muscular. Yeah, yeah. Cruise around the block with the family type of a thing, obviously a slightly longer thing. All of those things can kind of be seen as ways to, to add in more TSS. But chances are, Zimberman, since you're talking about it in terms of TSS, you want something measured. So the best way to measure it may not be just, you know, cruising around, uh, you know, plodding around soft pedaling on a bike, but actually having something structured on the trainer can help with that. So I actually did one of these maybe two weeks ago and I did it outside my mountain bike and I, my Strava, I put it as easy as possible. And I tried to work on skills cause I was like, well, I don't want to just do the zone two stuff. But I went outside, actually it was a flat course zone two. And then I was like, I want to practice bunny hopping, mm-hmm. doing manuals and, and that kind of stuff. And I was taking some corners slow on purpose but trying to get perfect like body position yeah you know what i mean like leaning yeah. lean yeah. the bike correctly and that was kind of fun too is 
Yeah, that's you know, a good point. Yeah, yeah, that's that's like doubly effective TSS filler. Yeah, because because yeah. as we know, we've Chad just saw me in a mountain bike race. My limiter is downhill section, so my technical we we before the podcast we no we talked about it during the podcast about what your limiter is. Mm-hmm. My limiter mountain biking downhills, hundred percent. Yeah, technical. Mm-hmm. So I need to work on that and yes, can throw it into one of these days for cyclocross riders or mountain bike riders. Um, you can go to the pump track or go to an obstacles course or anything else like that, where like a barriers course where mm-hmm. you have to get off and practice dismounting and mounting back on the bike for cyclocross. Or you could even add run workouts in. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. As long as you keep it easy. So. There's all these things like you should just think of, I know for me, I find it really helpful to think of all of my time on the bike or all of my training in terms of my weekly TSS. And when I think of it in that concept, it allows me to, to structure things and make sure I'm not going too out of hand, but also bumping things up where I need to just enough, right? That's the key. So, right. And then um, I also want to address his third question here. What impact will, will it affect our recovery workout recovery slash workout the next day? Um, so the easy out is always to say, try it and find out. And that's kind of what you have to do. You have to figure out, you know, can I do one of these the evening before a long ride or can I do them evening before a hard ride? Um, how much recovery do I need to separate? How intense can I get with them? Typically filler workouts don't exceed maybe 70, 75% of threshold. They're, they're, they're usually kept in the recovery to endurance zone. So anywhere from like 50 to 70, maybe 75%. But but if they're just filler, you're just looking to get extra miles, you kind of, you definitely have to prioritize your harder, more intense workouts, uh, above them. So if it gets to a point where these fillers are starting to, uh, affect those negatively, then, you know, you have to change something, um, to, to elaborate on this a little bit more. Um, I've been very focused on weight loss. So let's make this about me for a second. And in the process, is, I've, lost, <laughs> I've lost a whole Come bunch on, of weight. Jack. I've lost a lot of weight. It's great. I mean like 30 pounds over the course of, I don't know, six ish months, seven or eight months, whatever. Um, but a lot of weight loss in the process. I have not allowed my body to recover to a point. I've been thinking a lot on this lately and it's, it's boiled down to the fact that I've done a lot of TSS filler tired or not. I get myself on the bike because I want to see that scale, uh, show me, show me a lower number every day. And it has, but at the same time, my power has gone down with mm-hmm. it. So you definitely have to keep in mind, or you have to watch closely. You start adding these filler workouts, bumping up that TSS. That's all good and fine. Stress is growing each week. Maybe you're getting stronger, but if you're not, something absolutely has to change. So with your dramatic and quick, uh, fat loss, weight loss, Chad, do you think you're st- and your power loss, do you think you're a faster racer now? Or no, my, my strength to weight has, has fallen, fallen fairly sharply. So my weight's gone down a lot, but my power was it. I was in the neighborhood of 360 when I started this, but I was also weighing 190. Now I'm down to 170, but my power is probably down to like 325, 330. You need to keep going. So down. we could do the math on that, but I don't think the strength to weight. It, and based on how I'm racing, it's not favorable. Don't eat I, for the next month, Jack. I, I need to beat you. <laughs> so go down. I think, I think you look like 145. It's like you're cute. <laughs> you're you're right. the best weight you I'm need. I'm on it. Yeah, I can uh, Yeah, keep doing that. So if you were to do it again, what would you what would you change? Because I think part mm-hmm. of the reason why you're, you're losing it so quickly is because we have this podcast, Darn Dexa. Yes. And we have Jonathan, the skinny mini Jonathan here. Yes. But I'm on the opposite side of you. My last Dexa now, I'm skinnier than you were like yeah. a little while ago. So that's the, so the, this whole Dexa the thing, pressure. shining the light on our body composition has absolutely affected what, what I've prioritized. You have disorder. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> it's, it hasn't disorder. panned out too well. It's been cool in terms of weight loss. And I do know that I can keep the weight right here and bring the power back up. I'm not going to be able to do it in time for the events I wanted to do it. And that's, that's a big problem. 
So as far as what I would change, uh, I'm just going to have to be uh, more cognizant of when I don't feel like getting on the bike versus when I really shouldn't be on the bike. But would you have gone slower? Difference. Like if you could go yes. back, would you tell yourself, hey, slow your roll? And that's that's the crux of it. I could have managed this much more effectively. I could have taken, uh, maybe not dropped my weight as much, maybe not dropped it as quickly. Mm. But in any case, I would have kept power at the forefront of my concerns. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually in that same... So I just did the deck. So, you know, I lost eight pounds of fat in this last scale, this last one. And I'm trying to just kind of eat more as maintaining and just focus on power, power, power and get my power up to like, I, I think 320, 330 would yeah. me at like four watts kilo. And, and, see, and see, that's you can do the weight loss rapidly and then focus on sustaining that weight loss and bringing your power up. But that's not what I did. So yeah. maybe, and two, I wasn't racing. So maybe that would be the same path I would go. Like I was racing a little bit, but it wasn't like, I'm trying to win something huge. Mm-hmm. So just get it all done at once. And then, right. I don't know, we'll see how it works. I'm really kind of planning for next season. That's my goal is, you know what I mean? Like, I don't really. I'm, Dial it in now. And then so the next year, you're. you're yeah, saying, next year, I want to be like yeah. over four watts. And we'll see. Okay. If someone's going to, someone's listening to this podcast one year from now and is going to come back <laughs> and Nate's going to be like, <clears throat> yeah, I'm 220. FTP is 200. Damn it. <laughs> Let's move on to Eddie's question. He says, just completed an off-season of sweet spot base mid-volume, general build mid-volume, and rolling road race mid-volume. So he followed base, build, and specialty uh, mid-volume plans the whole way through. Um, and you say that all of that was completed leading into a couple important races and rides for me. I struggled to get measurable improvements through FTP testing, but as I knew I was, imp- but I knew I was improving as I began to inch up my FTP for the harder interval sessions with success. So nice. He was following some indicator there. Um, he says outdoors in the weekly group ride, I've shown significant improvements when compared to the stronger riders. Just a quick aside, I find that to be, uh, many times. So for a lot of us, we kind of get close to where our FTP, I shouldn't say our peak, mm-hmm. but for most of us with the lives that lives that we live, we kind of top out, right? Your sticking point. Yeah. And we're really trying hard to get like five Watts would be huge in a year if we could get that right. I noticed such a huge difference, even though my FTP name may not go up, but when I'm really following a structured plan, that's where I notice the difference mm, and the weekly hammer rides and everything else. People can throw blows at me and I just keep coming back. Well, like, this is know, a, is, is an important aside. And I, I warn people all the time to the whole forest for the trees thing. I mean, you're looking at your workouts and nailing your workouts and, and we're seeing this word failing crop up far too often. And, and, and it, you just have to keep your eyes on what's actually important. And all we're after here is performance improvement. doesn't matter where your Watts are, where your body weight is, how well you're completing the workouts. If you're too tired to do the high volume plan and all these, all these things aside, what you're looking for is improved performance. So when you get out in these weekly hammer fests and you're outperforming guys who used to outperform you, you know, you're on the right track. If your race results are improving, if you're PRing here and there, you're on the right track. Yep. Keep, keep in mind of all those KPIs, those key performance indicators. Um, okay. He says, I'm looking to enter a four week rebuild now leading into another eight weeks of the rolling road race, uh, both at the mid volume level. So those are our training plans for those don't know those that don't know. Uh, so, but sorry, one quick aside, a rebuild is if you go base build specialty and your season's not over, you can go back to build. So when we say rebuild, that's what we mean. Yep, Exactly. Usually it's uh, going back into that build is prefaced by a, a week or, or a portion of time that's pretty short that kind of allows them to recover, right, Chad? Yeah, a little transitory period where you kind of just knock off the intensity and allow your body to, to heal and your mind to refocus. Cool. 
So he says, even though I know I'm stronger, I'm finding it increasingly difficult to suffer through intense indoor sessions. I believe this to be a cooling factor, as this past winter I was able to layer on the intensity in afternoon sessions in what is a cold room at 55 to 60 degrees Fahrenheit in my home. Now that summer is here and the humidity is increasing in the same room, attempting morning sessions at 70 degrees has me struggling with the same fan and window open for fresh air. I don't believe I'm fatigued and my heart rate seems normal in these efforts, but my leg fatigue loads up much sooner than previously. Is it realistic to think this is just a cooling issue? If so, would reducing the intensity to a point where completion of the higher intensity workouts is possible still provide the same workout benefits? It seems counterintuitive that my indoor FTP would be in essence going down, but perhaps a discussion on the relationship between muscle heat dissipation and available power output could shed some light. Eddie, and he signed off his taco lifestyle. Um, I don't know what that means, but I like it because I'm into tacos too. But um, what do you guys think? I'll start. Yeah. So 100% cooling can affect your performance indoors, outdoors, anywhere. Tour de France right now, keep talking about the heat. Yeah. Um, Sorry, one quick yeah. contrast there. What stage nine just happened yesterday? Is that right? Or stage yeah. eight? Spoiler alert. Yeah. So yeah. Well, I'm not going to spoil okay. anything. But um, they were riding and it was so hot in the France that the tarmac in France has a lot more rubber in it than it does here in the states. And the riders were having issues once again with ruts actually developing for the whole peloton had gone through. The road looked like somebody had just like scraped their fingers through it That's all over crazy. the place. Yeah. And tires were popping because of the heat once again, or not popping, but the tubulars, actually the glue was coming undone. Yeah, I saw one. And the fall. next day, it's like crazy cold rain, Pound jackets, rain, everything hail. else. Yeah. 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 So they deal with, they deal with these swings constantly. So, so yes, the, the heat is a big thing. Uh, first advice is get a good fan. Like there's Walmart fans. Then there's like, if you're really into indoor training, I recommend buying a top quality fan. Air King, right? Air King 20 inch, the yep. floor mount one. Yep. I love that thing. I did the math on it once on an Air King 18 inch, and I think it could simulate like a 30 mile per hour wind outside. Of, I don't know if I did my mouth right. Math. I actually got two 18 inch, and I'll, I'll you turn have two one on, and then yeah. as I get hotter, I'll turn the other on, and I, I, yeah. I've got no complaints. I was just yep. doing on Sunday, it was yesterday, five times 20 minute intervals at. 85% FTP and I was in I was at work in the office and my room got up to 79 and then I remembered hey I don't pay for AC here so I opened the door and I turned the AC down to 59 which uh it's it's people are like you environmentalist pig it's it was a little like it doesn't really get down to 59 it like probably gets it got me down to in the room to I think 72 but I could tell a huge difference the first it's two massive. intervals were at 79 with and the humidity was I have a I measure everything. The humidity, I think, was around 50%. Yep. And then the last three intervals were easier at 72 degrees, and it was like a 25% humidity because I had the door yeah. open and the AC was running. Well, see, this is something that brings up another point that we're maybe not considering here and that the nature of the interval themselves can really have an effect on this. So Nate's describing a long, long interval workout. Were they 20 minutes? Yeah, 20 minutes. Yeah, so 20 minutes is a lot of time to build up and retain heat. Whereas if you're doing like three-minute VO2 max intervals with three-minute recoveries, you get to dissipate a lot of that heat every three minutes. Mm. So he's just getting hot, hot, and hotter and, and basically challenging his, his endurance uh, exponentially, potentially. And the heart rate, too, was about the same the whole time. It, it didn't really creep up on the intervals. Hmm. Um, the other thing that people don't understand is you don't get cold from, or you don't, um, dissipate heat from, it's very small with just being in a room that's, that's cooler conductive. It's all about evaporative cooling. So having, uh, air flow over you and evaporating your sweat. 
Yeah, and you need that airflow because if you don't have airflow over you and you're just sweating and you're stuck inside, you create this almost like little biome around you that's very humid, mm-hmm. a little cloud of humidity, so to speak, and your sweat just sits on you, but your sweat is reaching your body temperature because nothing is cooling it off, right? It's yeah, just and that sweat sitting on effectively that creates like, like an yep. envelope where, where you can't yep. dissipate heat. You're basically shunting it back into the core, which is the last thing you want. So you, you can't get rid of it. Evaporatively, though, you can. So We've talked about this at like um, riders pouring water on themselves. If you're in a really humid place, mm-hmm. like if you're racing at like 80, 90, 100% humidity and you're pouring water on yourself, <laughs> it's it's probably doing, Chad, you believe it's doing worse, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, think, read, it too. I think it was uh, Carrie Sims or Kristen Sims, the, the woman behind Osmo, talked about how this does exactly what I just described and it shunts the heat back internally. Mm-hmm. So your body's trying to get rid of it. You're keeping it in there. Your body temperature, um, your thermoregulation is just hosed. Yeah. I believe though, if you're, this is what I think. I don't really have any science to back it up, but if you're racing in Las Vegas or Reno where it's 12% humidity, 12% or 20%, it's windy, you pour that water on you and you're dry Helps. in a little while, then I think it does help. Yeah, um, that's something to think of. Um, so having a strong fan and of making sure that sweat evaporates off you, I've always, Chad doesn't like this, but I say if you're dripping sweat like onto the floor, your fan isn't positioned right and you, you don't have enough airflow as long as you're not in a very, very humid environment. Yeah, where do you position your fan? So I, I always had mine dead center, right? Coming at my face. And then uh, mm-hmm. Chad ch- showed me a different way yeah, and I've I switched put, to that and I feel like it's better. I, I think so because now I have two fans that, that just blasts you right in the face. Your eyes get dry, your mouth gets dry. It's pretty uncomfortable. But I put them down um, pretty much even with the front wheel angled up toward me, so from the floor. And and one of them's trained solely on my body. The other one I might angle up towards my face just a little bit more, um, and, and it works wonderfully. It's, it's interesting because we perceive wind. So there's a mental thing going on here. Like we perceive wind best with our face. Hmm. If if you just feel it on your arm, you don't really consider it to be that, that bad, right? But we perceive it with our face. So when that wind is coming at us on our face, we think that we're doing a great job of cooling ourselves off. While we may be doing a, a decent job of it, trying to looking at it from the aspect of trying to cool off a greater surface area of your body, or in other words, have wind or air moving over a greater surface area of your body should mm-hmm. be the goal. And that's what that accomplishes. And, and that is too why I go actually 90 degrees, like perpendicular to my body. Mm-hmm. So, and that's part of the way where my desk is at work, but it's kind of right to the right side of me and it's angled up and it actually hits my entire torso and yeah. my head. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't find that my legs get sweaty. Mm-hmm. It's my torso and my right. head that gets sweaty. Yeah. So that's the part that I want. Yeah, yeah I, don't, on. I don't train it on my legs at all. I try right. to hit myself mid-torso, um, upper yep. chest, and, and shoulders. You know, one interesting thing with this too, and this is just a side note, Eddie, so sorry, but um, related to fans and everything else, I noticed, so the one benefit of having a fan going at your face, I noticed a, a, like a resilience to headwinds last year, not in the sense that I could somehow overcome yeah, mentally, them, but yeah. mentally because... I had wind going in my face hmm. the whole time. Whenever we'd hit a headwind, I, I would look around and everybody would be, you know, crying about it and upset and everything else. And it was just normal for me. And I think there's a there's a, that mental trigger on bikes. As soon as we hear that wind increase and we feel it on our face, hmm. we get pessimistic and we get upset. And if you can train yourself to train through that with optimism, there is power there for sure. Yeah. So, the, um, yeah. The other thing about this is I uh, there's been studies showing that exercising easy work doing easy workouts in a very hot room yeah. will improve your performance both in cool weather yeah, and that's hot where weather I was gonna go next with this yeah and if you don't 
So if you do all your workouts in a nice, cool, evaporated room, and then you go do a race in something hot and humid, you're going to suffer. I would recommend, depending, it's going to take more time to uh, to recover from these. But if you could do some of your TSS fillers without a fan or just in a warmer room, yeah, um, it's gonna it's gonna be beneficial. What do you think, Chad? Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was going to address next because the other part of his question was. Uh, asking about the intensity of the workouts and is it possible to still provide the same workout benefits if you change the intensity and, and not, not really. So especially as the workouts become increasingly specific. So <clears throat> if you have, you know, you're, you're training VO two max, yet you're only doing them at 10% lower because the heat's necessitating that or limiting you, then you're off target and you're not achieving what we're after. There is a period where you do your workouts long enough, your body starts to heat acclimate and different things happen. Your plasma volume increases. You get, uh, you do get some aerobic benefit. There's, there's, there's benefits to training in the heat, but trying to combine intensity and heat is not the way to go about it. So it, when, when at all possible, you do your high intensity workouts in the coolest environment you can create, you know, the most evaporative cooling going on, the most beneficial and, and, uh, that, that lends itself to this, these higher intensity workouts. And then like Nate said, you do your lower intensity TSS filler type stuff in the heat and you gradually, uh, acclimate to that heat it takes, you know, anywhere from, I think like 10 to 14 days, pretty typically, but it, it will happen over time. But do you really want to, you know, torture yourself and, and, and miss your workout objectives in the process? You don't have to, well, assuming you can find a cool environment to do your high intensity training, you don't have to. We've talked about actually getting even a sauna at work, right? Isn't there some research just sitting in a hot room after a workout? Yeah, I did it. I did it before a training camp and I did it before some, some of the hotter races that, um, I did this year, which ended up being not all that hot, but heat was a total non-factor for me. And the, and the idea here is, uh, I think it's the, well, I don't want to get into the whole genetic realm of it, but there's, there's adaptations that take place and, and their recommendation in particular, and the one I applied was that you do your high intensity workout your system's really revved up. You turn the sauna on, which is what I did with, uh, it takes like 15 minutes to warm up. So I'd hop off in between intervals, flip the sauna on 130 degrees, hop back on the bike. As soon as I was done, wouldn't even do my cool down, hop in that sauna. So I'm already boiling and I sit in there for as long as I could take it, which ended up being about 25, 30 minutes. And, and that was it. That was the extent of it. That was my heat acclimation training. And I have to say it, it was far more tolerable than sitting in a hot room, trying to do a 30 or 45 or 60 minute TSS filler. We need to, we were going to have a podcast room. We should have a sauna room <laughs> yes, we can fit a bike in. Sure. That'd yeah. actually be really cool. I don't, I don't know that the bike in it's necessary. I mean, if you want to do your training in the sauna, sure. You could, but yeah, there's that one study that had people doing, I think at 102 degrees mm -hmm. for like a 45 minutes of like easy, like petite. That just sounds of. miserable to me. Yeah, I, <laughs> I'd rather I sit and watch it. a movie for 30 minutes The um, after a workout. The other thing that I do that I don't know if it helps or not. I think it does actually. My wife. She shun, shuns away from anything heat. Like she does not want to be out in the middle of the day in heat and anything. And she does a race in the heat and she just wilts. Mm -hmm. I do like my yard work or outside. Yeah. I'll do it in a hundred degrees. Heat of the day. I yeah. Like and it. I'll just yep. get you. I mean, at first it sucks, but after a few days or a few times in that, I get used to it. And I think yep. that I don't have any problems racing in the heat. I like, I like it. And normally for a bigger person, the bigger you are, the, the harder it is to dissipate heat. It would be harder, but. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? I've I'm made the mistake. Boat. Yeah, I've made the mistake of doing all my training indoors, AC blasting, fan cooling me, and my fitness is great. My threshold's way up there. I'm going to go out and I'm going to crush everybody. Then the temperature tips 85 degrees. You know, it doesn't even take a, a severely hot day, and my my uh, capabilities dwindle. Yeah. It's embarrassing. For mountain biking here in the U.S., 
everything kicks off the big, the big, the Pro XCT series. It starts in Southern California in March every year. And when it starts in, in, in LA in March, you could have a very a nice day of 50 degrees, nice and cool, or you could go all the way up to 90 degrees. You never know. And I, I always have to prepare for that. And it's always tough for me because up here we have a really cold winter. Um, there is a huge, a huge effect of just getting yourself out there and getting used to it. Eddie, my two cents, first of all, we're focusing on heat here and, and the change there from winter to summer. And, and I'm sure plenty of things have changed in between now and then. But from this perspective of just heat, I wouldn't worry too much about your workouts being harder. Um, HTFU, perhaps a little bit of that and try to push through as much as you can on these workouts, knowing that you're getting more adaptation perhaps, or you're at least going to be making yourself faster on a hot day outside. Um, it's hard, but that's not something to be totally, um, I, I should say that that isn't something to turn away from it just because your workouts are harder inside in the heat. So. Yeah, if you can still do it, if you can still hit your your, your numbers, well, yep. that, that HDFU kind of does apply. And that means harden up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's so yeah. Be tougher. Uh, there's kids in the car probably oh, yeah. this, so just, it just means work harder. <laughs> yes, it does. Uh, all right, so Joe Skretz, I hope I'm saying, these are Snapchat names, so bear with us if we say I'm wrong. So he says, love what you're doing with the indoor training software. I was just wondering if workouts such as the 15 second on 15 second off workouts directed toward inc- or directed toward increasing crit performance, increase your FTP. Yeah. So really anything we do above threshold is with the intention of raising threshold. So th- there are times where we do anaerobic work just to increase anaerobic capacity. And we're not so concerned with threshold so much as being able to tolerate those leg searing efforts that y- your event probably requires. Um, but, but in the case of these, um, the RAB workouts, which is the reduced amplitude bill outs, which is just basically micro bursts, hard on, easy off, hard on, stacked really closely together, a whole bunch of them. So kind of the, the demands of what you'd face in a cross race or uh, maybe even a cross country mountain bike race, certainly a criterium. Um, and, and the fact of the matter is whether or not they're in anaerobic territory, you know, they could be 120% of threshold, 125, 130, as more of these are stacked closely together and you can't recover, they become increasingly aerobic to the point where you get to the end of a set of maybe 10 or 15 of them, 95, 98, 99% of the work you're doing is aerobic. So these aerobic benefits all affect threshold, you know, your, your sub threshold or your sub, uh, sub, let's just say sub threshold. Uh, effort level. So uh, over time, working well above threshold will pull, uh, as I put it, pull, pull your threshold up from the top. Mm. Yeah. And, and, um, I think the one thing to remember is with those workouts, it's not a, you are getting, you're raising your FTP, but you're also raising your ability to perform at that specific level over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. So it's a two for one deal. It's pretty sweet. Uh, Mark, what are your thoughts on training for cyclocross and whether or not one should incorporate running into the plan? And if it is advisable, how much and when? Thanks. Yeah, I think I think originally when I did the cross plan, I had run workouts woven into it. And for whatever reason, we decided to pull those out or maybe they just never got published. But um, running with cyclocross is nowhere near as important as it is with multi-sport. Uh, it's kind of a thing. I've, I've talked to some really successful cross riders who do no running at all. They save it for race day. They run up those hills. If they do anything, they do hill repeats, carrying their bikes. They do, they do very specific work. The only time they're going to run anyway <clears throat> is either, you know, hopping obstacles, which is more about mounting, dismounting, or they're doing hill run-ups, which is more about just gutting out a really short, intense, uh, anaerobic effort, uh, and not so much about running. 
If, however, you want to incorporate some running as, like we mentioned earlier, TSS filler, or you just want to get out there and mix things up a bit and run a little, I don't see the point in doing anything more than 30-minute workouts and you know maybe two, three of them a week just mm-hmm. to see that you have a little bit of running fitness. But it's still a, a cycling sport. So yeah. any running you incorporate, I don't know that it's going to be a make or break in terms of your performance on the race course. I know Jeremy Powers, um, the, one of the, he's the national champ for, for the U.S. and a very, very good cross racer, one of the best in the world. He does, uh, the, the running that he does, he does do some running. It's surprisingly minimal, like what Chad was saying, but if he does do stuff on his legs, a lot of it is stairs or steep, short stuff. And he works on repeats and, uh, he's in the gym, you know, working on squats, things like that. Because like you said, when you are running off the bike, generally it's, you're really having to climb something steep or something difficult, or it's just something short like that. And last year, can't remember who it was, um, but I know Powers did make improvements with his run, and as a result, he was able to really make gains last year. Because mm-hmm. in the U.S., it's interesting we're having we're incorporating runs and and obstacles and cyclocross in kind of lame ways. Like you wish that it was more natural, but we're just having long sections where it's just you know we've incorporated so much sand that's impossible to ride. Yeah. You just you run it or a section of barrier after barrier after barrier with S turns or something and end up running. And see, this goes back to the whole thing we were talking about with the criterium. If you know you're going to race it a particular way, or if the course will demand you to race it a particular way, you Mm -hmm. best train for that particular approach. Right. Um, I think to it, sorry for everyone, (laughs) right in the microphone. Um, I think it goes back to where we talk about limiters. If it's like a limiter and you can't like, you get gassed on all of it and then train it. But my personal opinion is it's not going to really, unless it's a limiter, make you that much faster or else we'd see triathletes just coming in cyclocross and blown it away, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Because right? they're running yeah. Yeah. super fast, you know, yep. 6.30, half, I mean, way faster than any of these cyclocross guys can run. Right. Um, exactly. You're for, probably going to gain, because really the, the time that you spend running is pretty minimal. You might gain even more from just refining your dismounting and mounting technique than, than really focusing on the running, right? Um, I know for, for me, it my wife was laughing at me hysterically because I was riding around in our backyard trying to jump on my bicycle and not and hurting myself in very sensitive areas over and over. But when you can refine that, it helps a lot. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Helps a lot. So So my, I'm using air quotes, my arch nemesis, the current guy, Casey Keene, who's at my same fitness level, he just bought a cyclocross bike Mm. yesterday. Mm. And now I'm going to, I want to race cyclocross this, this fall. Yeah. But I have just a mountain bike. You should get a crossbar. I should, shouldn't I, Chad? Yes, absolutely. The business should buy me a man plus one. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And the thing is now cross bikes have one by drivetrains or you can put them on after the I'm doing one by, yeah. And they're they're cheap. Cross bikes are pretty cheap. Well and then the relatively you can can make it expensive if you want. And then Uh, even it's they're the coolest. They are seriously like the best commuter bikes. And hmm. when I look at the a big chunk of the road riding I do, I would probably rather be on a cross bike. For road racing, much rather be on a road bike. But when I do these really long epic rides, a lot of the time I pass by it, I pass a dirt road and I go, huh. Yeah. I kind of wish I could go down that instead of just stick to the road right Just now. yesterday, one of our riders peeled off early. He wanted to go back, and he was agonizing over whether or not to take the dirt road because he didn't have a tube with him. But if he'd been on a cross bike. Probably good. wouldn't have kept up with you guys, though. Uh, probably. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chad, would you race cross? I think I'm going to every year, and then <clears throat> get to the point bike? in the year where last thing I want to do is oh. compete. Do you so have a cross bike? I don't. 
I've never gotten around to purchasing one. Mm. That would, I think that'd be too much of a commitment to actually racing cross. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather I, remain on the fence. Uh, I'm like, I'm hovering over the buy button right now on getting a cross bike. So which bike would you get? You know, <clears throat> I've been looking and I'm, I'm a cheap person for those that don't know. I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a good deal. So I'm looking at the specialized crux frugal. Yes. Frugal. Better. Much <laughs> you better. You can't be a cyclist Thank and be frugal. Much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> So yeah, and especially look at my mountain bike. Yeah, it doesn't look like that. But um, I've been looking at the Specialized Crux because I've ridden it before. It's a fantastic bike. It's a little on the stiff and more roadside. Some of them are a little more relaxed with their geometry, which I kind of like. So that's one strike against the Crux. But the things I like about the Crux, it's pretty similar. I've had a Specialized Stump Jumper hardtail before, and I ride a tarmac on the road. And it's like a perfect cross between the two. Like it feels very similar to Pun them. intended. Yeah, no, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's it's a perfect mix between the two. And that part I like. It's a familiar feeling bike when I ride it. And you can also find them. Right now is a bad time to buy a cross bike on eBay. Just wait until like January mm-hmm. and you can get any cross bike you want for mm-hmm. next to nothing. Because a lot a of people idea. think, I really want to get into cross. They try it out. And for one reason or another, they end up selling their bike, right? You find out how hard it is. Races it's too. so hard. You, you have to get used to the fact that you, when you are, you have vomit just coming up constantly <laughs> in your mouth and you just stay like that for the whole race. It's rough. What, like what kind of motivates, one, it's fun. It's more less, it's kind of like less technical mountain biking, but still yep. kind of technical. It's not a team sport. So it's kind of like triathlon or mountain biking where it's just how hard you can go. Yep. And some of the world champs. I look at world champion a few years ago. He was like six four, six five. Like there's oh, some yeah, Trevon, big dude, dudes small guy. Yeah, who Trevon, win in cyclocross. Trebone's solid, and he's like six. He might even be taller than you. Yeah, like six yeah. seven. He's huge. He handles a bike like he's five five. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So all those things make maybe this could be kind of fun. Especially and then this year too. I'm uh, maybe I don't know. It's and, tough to do all these workouts and not have races, right? Right. Mm-hmm. I'm having some races with mountain biking, but mm-hmm. on just on my fat bike. Although my new bike should be ready this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. And if you're looking know. for justification for a cross bike, they really do make the perfect commuter bike. Because a lot of them I'm not gonna commute. But but if <laughs> not for you, Nate, but for yeah. everyone listening, if you're looking for justification for your partner for another bike, because we all know we have too many anyway, that's uh that's an easy way to do it. Unless you have a commuter, then you're really up a creek. It'll so. just be good for the podcast, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you need, Nate. <laughs> um, we also need a we talked about an enduro and a downhill bike. Yes. To improve my skills. You need all of them. N plus one. Yep. Yeah. And a and a slope style bike, one that you can use on pump tracks and everything mm-hmm. else too. That's necessary. So uh Brent's, he says, is fasted training too taxing on the 90 minute rides? I've been using Trainer Road for six weeks and lost four kilograms. Solid work. Ooh, That's nice. good. And now I'm having trouble completing the 90 minute Saturday ride uh fasted. And the ride he's mentioning is Eclipse. Last Saturday, I did antelope and felt I had energy left. Currently, um, you're currently doing sweet spot based low volume, and I can't complete the midweek training fasted. However, lately the warm ups are a struggle. Forgive me. Is this because I've lost weight and my FTP is still the same, or would Trainer Road have adjusted the power since I updated my weight in my profile because I have found this last week difficult? Okay, so fasted training is too taxing when you can't hit your, go- your your ride goals. So anytime they start to come at the expense of your high intensity rides, or really any rides, and you just you can't hit your marks, you're not achieving the objectives of the workouts. Fasted training is not working for you. Um, the 
have I lost weight? My FTPs. So we don't adjust anything. We don't adjust power based on weight loss. So that there's nothing going on there. The only time your FTP is adjusted is if you manually adjust it, or if it happens at the end of an FTP test and you accept that. But in any case, we don't do anything behind the scenes. Uh, FTP adjustments are entirely uh, up for your approval, if you will. That's right. So Chad, so if he's doing a 90 minute workout and it's fasted and it's like an easy one, oh, that actually he did a clip. Well, see that that's the other thing I was going to address any intensity. I I don't recommend doing intense workouts in a fasted state. There's not uh, any benefit that you derive in terms of maybe fat loss or weight loss is going to be overwhelmed by the the performance decline or or, or how it affects the goals of that particular workout. Totally agree there. So fasted training and high intensity workouts. Ne- should should never be coupled. The, the two just don't work together. For those who don't know, Eclipse is three by twenty minute intervals. Yeah, those Ugh. are those are hugely depleting. Very it's like, sugar it's like my worst nightmare. I <laughs> yeah. sustained threshold work is just so terrible. And sustained threshold work is a huge burner. And what I mean by that, there's a lot of calories being expended and a lot of anaerobic uh, contribution going on. So there's a fair amount of sugar being utilized there. Um, and once again, I'd, I'd bet I, we could even look at his workout that each interval probably dropped, dropped and dropped. And I've mm-hmm. done those workouts before. And sometimes they're a result of not being intentionally fasted, but fasted coming into it. And it's, it's a suffer fest and not a productive one. And if he did, if he was doing 90 minutes of like real endurance stuff mm-hmm. yeah. and let's sure. say the last 10 minutes, he was feeling really bad. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed it. Right. And then next time it'll probably be a little bit easier. Yeah. The, the other thing, you know, I just did five. I already mentioned it, but five by 20 minute intervals with five minute rest in between at 85%. Before when I was quote unquote, a sugar athlete, I would have had four bottles of Gatorade and probably a donut and something else. This one, I had a cup of coffee and just water, a lot of water and got through it, got through it. And I did not feel depleted and a little bit less intense than what Eclipse is by three or 4%. But because of yeah. more sustaining or adopting these new dietary habits, you've, you've, you know, cultivated a different metabolic response. You're actually becoming more efficient in, yeah. in, in an endurance and sense. You leveled up with your fasted training because you ingested some caffeine beforehand too. That's a, it was during, I, during. I drink coffee during, yeah, <laughs> so, so do I. I drink a lot of coffee, so, so it doesn't hurt me that, at all. That's a, that's a, a, a tip for a lot of people. If you're looking to to increase the effect of fasted training. I, I, I'm sure it doesn't work with everybody, but um, having a dosage of caffeine, even if that doesn't it come helps. in the form of coffee, but in the form of just like a caffeine tablet. That some, you people, some people do carbohydrate mouth rinse. You know, they're going to mouthful of Gatorade, swish it around and spit it out. Yeah. So really they're just, they're just garnering a psychological I, effect, not I, a physio. I have a side question for you, Chad. So I'm doing all my workouts, just water, not taking any carbohydrate in. Uh, wh- when I race though, should I... Because I know carbohydrate, either mouth rinse or taking a carbohydrate while you race can mm-hmm. improve performance. So if I'm doing an hour, hour 15 mountain bike race, mm-hmm. should I be taking in some Gatorade just to improve my performance? Again, it's a try it and see. I, I have a hard time stomaching carbohydrate when I ride short, intense workouts like anything. that. Yeah, I, I can't do it. I get sick over the course of it, sometimes physically sick, but most of the time I just feel crappy the whole time, which yeah. doesn't help my performance at all. Um, some people are so, uh, sugar adjusted or, or uh, uh, what's the word reliant that they'll 
<clears throat> they simply start to fall apart at maybe 50, 55 minutes in. So in that case, you know, their reliance is what it is. So they have to take in some carbohydrate in order to keep their level of performance high. That can high. be changed, right, Chad? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Nate just described yeah. it. It's happening with him. No it's way could with have me. done it before. That's the key. It's not yeah. that it's not that you're just this type of person. You'll be that forever. That's the intent with fasted training it's is a, to shift. It's your... a generally healthier lifestyle. I mean, your body is not as reliant on carbohydrate, which you know, put simply as sugar in in one form or another. Yeah. So if you can change that, I mean, we're, we're more concerned with the benefit or the performance side of things here, but uh, it's just in general, it's, in my opinion, a better way to live. Um, but same thing, I mean, workouts that the 90 minute workouts fasted, I can do sometimes some of the, the, the more intense ones, not nothing like Eclipse, but couldn't have done that two years ago. So this is a, it takes time, um, but it's absolutely something that just about anybody can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, let's see. And he has a second part to his question. He says in the six week period, I had a week off with a cold and a week off with sick kids. So I repeated one of the weeks when I returned from illness as I thought it was a rubbish effort. Hmm. (laughs) He says, was that the right thing to do? Or should I keep going with the program and not worry about the week of poor performance after illness as it was to be expected? So if I'm reading this correctly, you just repeated the, repeated the week. That's what it looks like. One week off. So a rest week, rubbish week, and then he did it over again when he felt better. He repeated the rubbish to make it less rubbish. Yeah, if, that, yeah. if that's what got you back on track, I think that's a great way to get back into it. I definitely wouldn't recommend skipping the week. Um, I'm not sure if that's even uh, an no, option there. Okay, no. yeah. There, there's nothing wrong with that. No, yeah. Repeat the week and, and get back into get, get back into things. It might actually be light enough on the intensity that you don't rush your, your recovery to. So. I'm doing the same thing right now. My, my week last week was rubbish. I just spent it in a delivery room the whole time. So He brought in the, which trainer did you bring in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no trainers. My wife was in labor for 33 hours. So oh, man. It was, yeah. Me me asking to go grab a trainer would have been a very That's bad hard thing for everybody. Do. My so. wife and I just kept going, aren't you glad you're not pregnant? <laughs> She's like, yeah, I'm so glad I'm not pregnant. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Paul says, my question relates to the best way to use trainer road during the summer mountain bike race season. I love your podcast and have listened to some of the recordings several times. You guys do a really good job and the format is very helpful. Well, thanks Paul. Thanks Paul. Thank you. I primarily race mountain bikes with a few road races thrown in during the year. Sounds like me. That's mm-hmm. kind of my deal. It's common. Mm-hmm. I and most of my team used trainer road this past winter with our Wahoo kickers with very good results. Most of us have moved up a category with one going from expert to pro. Solid Ooh, nice. work. Fantastic. Nice. The structure and targets were were extremely helpful. I had very good increases in FDP and have noticed a marked increase in my ability to sustain high workloads this summer. However, as the weather improved this spring, this is a common story, right? I have done most of my training out on the trails. With this transition, I've reached a plateau and no longer feel like I'm improving. Although I try to insert some structure in for the form of intervals into my trail riding, it often turns into a go as hard as you can ride with the group. I suspect that the lack of structured workouts has impacted my progress. So I was hoping you could provide some training guidance for those of us that are primarily mountain bikers during the warm summer months. Should I continue with a structured training trainer road training plan throughout the summer race season? Should I try to incorporate this into my trail riding? Should I set aside a couple days each week to do structured workouts on the trainer or even the road bike? I would really appreciate your thoughts. Yeah. So there's a, a lot of Good stuff. A lot of questions to address here, Paul, and I'm sure we all have input. So I'll kick it off by saying this is incredibly common. And when I used to run indoor training studios, I would see the same thing every year. 
all the people who worked hard indoors, maintain their structure, follow their FTP, re- reassess their FTP, and just stuck with it, even if it was only twice a week, most of them were three times a week, would go out and, and just rip people's legs off in the spring. Then they would think, oh, I'm fit. I'm just going to ride this wave. And they would basically, I wouldn't see them again. Until Not necessarily I saw them, mountain bikers. Until I saw, oh, yeah, yeah. These, yeah, all, all types of athletes. Mm-hmm. Until I saw them out on any race course or, you know, happened uh, into them at a, a supermarket and we talked shop for a minute. Inevitably, all of their, their performance fell off. Because for whatever reason, they, they, they got away from structured training. They got roped into group rides where there is no structure. It's basically a, a race or a, a test of egos. Um, in any case, their, their, their productivity slumped. And it's, I think it's because they, they ditched their structure and they ditched the intensity that that structure brought with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, the, the way that I do this, Paul, I'm, like I said, I'm in a very similar situation to you. I usually follow a high volume plan, uh, in the winter, something like that. It's very, it's really tough. And then as I get closer to race season, I try to incorporate more time out on the trails and the mountain bike, but I do not drop my training. And of course this is, you know, coming straight from me and I'm, I'm even the PR director for this company. So you'd really expect it from me, but it, the data is there and it proves it. If I follow a low volume plan, throughout the summer, or even if I can sustain a mid, that'd be fantastic. Like right now, since I'll be how I have more time, I'm going to be following a mid volume plan. But if I can follow a low volume plan, I can generally maintain that sharpness that I need while still getting what I need out on the trails, which comes in the form of, um, you know, the, the fact that you're always going to be climbing at different cadences on a mountain bike, tough stuff. You're going to have to be talking about maintaining traction and body positioning and bike handling, all that other stuff you have to work on. Yeah. So Paul, you ask, you know, should you set aside a couple of days each week to do structured workouts on the trainer or even the road bike? Uh, that's exactly what I'd recommend. Um, and if you can do a couple of days a week, that's fantastic. If you can only do one and maybe make the other one, something like you're describing, uh, maybe a race, maybe a group ride where you can tone things down and actually make it productive a little more like an interval workout, or, you know, maybe it is just a race simulation. Um, but if you can maintain some structure and I'm going to recommend twice a week, uh, I, I think our low that's, volume plans will have two to three or three yep, times a week. Just pick so. two of those three workouts. And, uh, I, I think that will put you back on track as a CEO of trainer road. Please keep your subscription. Also, <laughs> I mean, it helps us. We get more engineers and we build more tools and all that kind of stuff. So that's an aside. We understand that you know, we all three of us, we like to ride outside. Yeah. But we also like to be fast. Yes. I don't want to be outside and be the slowest guy. So what I, again, just mimicking what you guys say right now, I'm going Tuesday through Friday inside and the weekends I'll mountain bike unless life hits. And then I'll do, I'll try to do like the 90 minute, um, uh, the 90 minute interval, interval workout sessions, inside. Yeah. yeah. I find that if I do the 90 minute inside, uh, so much stronger. And like last yeah, weekend yeah. I did the. The 90 minute and then my endurance sweet spot, which I have a question for you, Chad. Let's not end it after this. I got one more question for Chad. Cool. But I did that one and it's just so much more TSS and, and training stress. Recently I did a three hour three hour ride outside and I got the same amount of kilojoules and more TSS by doing a two hour ride inside. Yep. And it's like why did I spend that extra hour? It's just such a busy it, guy. It's just such a f- solid format. You work hard for an hour, you rest a day. Work hard for an hour, rest a day. Work hard for 90 minutes, rest for two days. I mean, if that's all the time you have, four and a half hours a week, you can get so much out of it if you do it properly. Huge amount. And on those yeah. rest days, you could be going on easy mountain bike rides where you're yeah, kind of yeah. going easy up the hill for the quote unquote TSS fillers and then 
rip it on the downhills and practice your skills and yeah and all that kind of stuff Uh, i find mountain bike at least in our area too it's even harder because if i do a a a two-hour mountain bike ride i feel like an hour and a half or an hour and 20 minutes of that is really could be like actual intense pedaling because there's so much it's either up and then down like for us yeah it's not a lot of we don't have a lot of just flat stuff here it's always going up or down you know mountain bikers honestly i run you know you all of us, we think of the trainer as a bad weather substitute because that's how it was marketed originally. And it, to be honest, it's really poor at doing that because you're always going to want to be outside and it's going to suck. But the one thing that it is absolutely good at and you can't deny is the fact that it gives you the best structure or the opportunity yeah. to have the best structure to work out. For me, it's, it's, it's about quality and to a lesser extent convenience. Yeah. And mountain bikers, like I get it guys. Like I am, I, like I've mentioned on this, I go for like six, seven hour mountain bike rides on in the fall and I am in heaven. I absolutely love being outside in the mountains like that out on the trail. That's cool. <clears throat> That's why I ride. But at the same time, I think that mountain bikers have more of an argument to use the trainer than any other discipline even perhaps, because for you guys, it's all about, for us, I should say, it's all about very structured work, very high intensity, short duration, all falling within a set of intervals. And that's really hard to replicate in any other situation, especially on the trail, wherever we're riding. So it makes sense to really just get your structure done inside and then you get outside. And also that's the best way to ruin a mountain bike ride is to search for a hill that you can fit your intervals into or search for a section of trail that's the best way to ruin it. And also makes you a jerk on the trail a lot of the time too, because you have to worry about yielding and all this other stuff. So if you're trying to do an interval and you have to yield to riders coming down the hill or up the hill, whatever it may be, that's going to throw off your interval structure. It's just, it's even more complex than road. Just too many things that can distract you from that. Yeah. So get the, the structure intent. in inside and then get outside and work on your skills and have fun. And this isn't an octa mountain bikers, but I, I think that, um, you might have a bigger advantage over mountain bikers because they haven't embraced structured power-based training oh, yeah. as much as road or triathlon has. Totally do. Yep. Yeah. You can get like more mileage, so to speak, out of your abilities or whatever you would see the, you know, your talent, whatever else it is. If you're doing structured training, because that's, I think that's the story of me last year. I was going against guys that are practically professional. They spend so much time training and racing. It's, their life is focused on mountain bikes. One of them was an ex-pro, everything else. And these guys have a lot of momentum going their way in terms of riding. I came in with only four years experience and I was able to finish on the podium with them at nationals. And it wasn't because I was, you know, a better rider. It's because I had been more diligent in the structure. That was it. You're a good rider too. Chad. Okay. Here's a question from Nate from trainer road this is the last one last question of the day yes you got two in today nate <laughs> i know <You're> spoiled. <laughs> well one was for jonathan it was i got a friend with this problem yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so i have this other friend named nate okay so uh on most of the training plans the sunday ride is a long ride mm-hmm. and i find like i had to think at a three hour ride or something like that or two and a half i think it was three i find that hard to do mentally for me especially on the trainer mm. when i go outside and do a three hour ride i even Sometimes I enjoy it, but a lot of times I'm like, I got stuff to do. So what I'm <laughs> yeah. thinking in my brain and what I started, this is why I did the five by 20 is doing many sweet spot intervals mm-hmm. that are for a long. So I did two hours and 15 minutes was the workout. I did five, 20 minutes at 85% with five minute rest in between. It was white side minus one. And I turned it down actually, cause it started at 90 and I was too tired. Um, is that an appropriate way to get aerobic fitness? I know I got more TSS mm-hmm. if I can handle it. 
rather than going on the long rides, especially my racing is hour, hour and 15 minutes. Yeah. There are different things that work there. You're, you're working at a higher intensity or a higher threat or higher percentage of functional threshold. So your, your sub, substrate utilization to throw a fancy term at, you know, what you're going to use for fuel, um, <clears throat> is altered. So if you're looking to deplete your slow twitch fibers with longer, slower, less intense work, you're missing that mark. That may not be exactly what you're after. You may not be training for three and four and five hour events. So it's probably not a concern. A lot of the benefit you will get in terms of aerobic adaptation, muscular endurance are going to come with the sweet spot work. It just depends coming on the heels of, you know, three other interval workouts this week. Can you perform sweet spot work? Does that sweet spot work on Sunday hinder your Tuesday workout? So there are things for you to personally figure out. Yeah. But as far as the training benefit, uh, that's again for you to kind of figure out, but there's, there's so much overlap there that, uh, I do the same thing and, and I've recommended people doing the same thing. Cause most of us are time constrained and we don't necessarily have time for a multi-hour ride at any date. doesn't matter if it's weekday or weekend. The, uh, the training stress was, was a lot more than I would have if my, for my three hour ride. So mm-hmm. I'll see what it is for Tuesday. Yeah. I probably could have cut it down to four intervals, Yeah, but I'm, yeah, this dude just told me I will never beat them. My buddy, I want to be him. Oh. I got a new mountain bike. I just oh. want to beat everyone. So I'm doing the classic <laughs> thing of too much stress. Oh, I say this dude, that was Chad. Um, probably, you know, kind of like Jonathan, I'm going to do three workouts a day. Like, yeah. uh, but have, making sure you do it within reason. Right. And one yeah. thing too, I don't know if this is correct. So correct me if I'm wrong guys, but I know Nate, you've mentioned before you, you, you deal with or manage or tolerate those sweet spot sustained style intervals pretty well compared to a person like me, for example, it's mm-hmm. really tough, right? Yeah. I've actually found, so we talked about, um, kind of trying things to see with your work, the sweet spot, long ones stuff. I, I really respond well to that. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've noticed that I respond much better to the short stuff. So perhaps also your recovery, perhaps you may recover quicker from something like that versus somebody that may be listening to this and, and they wh- may think that's a silver bullet. Like that's what they need to do. Oh, yeah, and it's again. also, what depends. are your events? Do you need to u- utilize steady yeah. state power right. most of the time? Do you need to be able to fling out VO two max efforts frequently over the course mm-hmm. of a mountain course? So it's, if I was doing like an Ironman, I probably would just do the, the longer rides. Yeah. And there's, that's absolutely one way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us, everybody, and submitting your questions. Remember, you can do so at trainerroad.com slash podcast or use the hashtag AskTrainerRoad on different social platforms. And you can also leave us reviews wherever you found this podcast, or if that may be iTunes, SoundCloud, anywhere else. You can leave us a review there. We like five-star reviews. When you send those in, I'm not going to say I prioritize your question because I really don't. <laughs> But I will say it gives me a smile. So <laughs> no, I, I read all the, I go on iTunes and I read all the reviews and I'm yes. like, oh, whatever. You know, it makes me feel good. Yeah. <laughs> so we appreciate it. Keep them coming and keep your questions coming. Uh, we have a bunch of them. And just so that you guys know, we come through as many as we can. We don't get to all of them. I saw somebody today, he sent in the same, or yesterday when I was building this up, he sent in the same question 10 times in a row. <laughs> and then at the end, he threw an exclamation point. He said, answer my question. And your question was answered this week. So, hopefully, but, but just not know, to recommend that strategy. Yeah. That is not a good strategy. We go through as many as we can. It's just simply a fact that we get way more questions every week than we can answer. So we try to come up with a good mix for you. So, uh, but please don't let that discourage you. Keep sending them in. Uh, we appreciate it. And it's a good way for us to connect with y'all. So thanks for joining us. We'll chat with you next week. Happy training. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye.